www.wjffradio.com. And from listeners like you who donate at wjffradio.org. Welcome to the local edition news and information keeping you connected in the Catskills in the Northeast Pennsylvania. I'm your host, Jason Dole. Coming up on this Wednesday evening, we get the latest in jobs and the economy with James B. Huntington on WorkShift Live. And we'll get the latest on local news, including COVID-19 at the Sullivan County Care Center at Sunset Lake. We talked to Leah Mayo from the River Reporter. There's big news in Albany today, so that's where we're going to start with the New York State Senate in a full floor vote rejecting Governor Kathy Hochul's choice for the state's chief judge. The vote was 39 to 20. And this action broke a month-long stalemate between the governor and Democrats in the Senate over whether nominee Hector LaSalle required under the state's constitution a vote by all members of the state Senate. But it does not end a lawsuit over the process. Senior Albany correspondent Karen DeWitt has more. Ayes 20, nays 39. The nomination fails. It's the first time in recent history that a governor's nominee for chief judge was rejected by the state Senate. Several Republican senators voted yes, but it was not enough to overcome widespread opposition by the majority of Democratic senators, who said LaSalle was too conservative. Senate Judiciary Chair Brad Hoyleman-Siegel says LaSalle, based on his record, is not a judge who would look out for the most vulnerable. He says LaSalle's decisions too often sided with the more powerful players in society. And he says after recent actions by the U.S. Supreme Court striking down the abortion rights decision Roe v. Wade in dismantling New York's concealed carry laws, there's no room for ambiguity. The stakes are just too damn high in Washington with the United States Supreme Court overturning our basic rights and liberties and sending more and more of those decisions down to the state courts where this nominee will have a deciding vote. Republican senators who voted for LaSalle, including Senator Andrew Lanza, says LaSalle has built a life and a record that is beyond reproach. I challenge any of you to find anyone who, has, who says or who will tell you that he is not everything that I am saying he is right here, which is one of the most qualified nominees, certainly in my tenure here in the Senate, that has come before us. Lanza says LaSalle was rejected because he refused to bow to the radical left of the Democratic Party. The vote marks the end of a month-long constitutional showdown between Hochul and Senate Democrats. It began in January when the Senate Judiciary Committee voted to reject LaSalle by a 10-2 vote. The Democrats said they were done with the process and the Senate did not need to hold a full vote. That angered Hochul. She said the state's constitution requires a full vote. She hinted that she might file a lawsuit. But as the weeks went by, the governor did not go to court. It was left to Republicans who are in the minority in the Senate to file a lawsuit to try to force a vote. A hearing is scheduled for Friday. The potential that the state's courts could curb the power of Senate leaders to make decisions on the rules of their House may have prompted the Democrats' sudden change of heart. But Senate Leader Andrea Stewart-Cousin says that's not the reason why they held the vote. She says she wanted to end what's become a distraction to the important work that needs to be done this session. We have a state to run. 
The 2023-2024 $227 billion budget is due in six weeks. Senate Minority Leader Robert Ort contends that if it weren't for the lawsuit, the full Senate vote would never have happened. Governor Hochul didn't do anything to make it happen. She nominated him and apparently was willing to let him twist in the wind. We brought a lawsuit. Ort says he does not believe the vote makes the GOP's court action moot. He says he expects the lawsuit to continue. Governor Hochul, in a statement, says she's glad that the Democrats in the Senate finally acquiesced to holding a full vote on her nominee. Hochul spoke about it earlier in the day, before the vote. I think this is a good outcome to at least let it get to the floor of the Senate. But the governor says the outcome was not based on the merits. Hochul says she will now request a new list of nominees from the state's Judicial Nominating Commission for a new chief judge and start the process all over again. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt. Thank you so much to Karen DeWitt and New York State Public Radio for bringing us that report. Now it's time for more local news. For that, we turn to Liam Mayo of The River Reporter. Thank you so much for joining us once again. Liam, welcome back to the show. Hi, Jason. Thanks for having me back. So um, this is a new story that, that, that you've been keeping an eye on that is, well, you're breaking it here on air tonight about the care center in Sullivan County at Sunset Lake and Liberty. We already reported on the situation uh, with COVID-19 with some t- patients testing positive, but um, you've got more information. And uh, I, gu- I guess maybe we should, we should start off by saying, where did this story start? Yeah. Um, so, uh, like you said, this is or this is a um, breaking story. Um, we don't have quite all of the information as of yet. Um, on uh, Monday, February 12, um, I was sort of, or we, we at the River Reporter were informed that this was going on, and uh, we checked, and there was a message on the uh, website from the care center at Sunset Lake, sort of a copy of a message they sent out to. Um, their uh, friends and uh, family of residents saying that they detected 16 additional residents of positive and one additional staff positive since the previous message. Um, these messages sort of only show up one at a time, so it's been replaced now by a more uh, recent message. Um, but we're hearing from patient advocates, including um, one of the sent us a voicemail from the facility to, again, to patients and residents, that the numbers as of yesterday, as of Tuesday, were uh, 27 positive residents and 10 positive um, members of staff. And again, this is a breaking story. We don't, we're still like trying to verify information and still like completely investigating this, but that is sort of what we know as of now about this um, potential outbreak of COVID at uh, the care center at Sunset Lake, the county's um, senior living facility. So I saw I saw a message from the care center that was posted on the county's website. It uh, was dated yesterday. Uh, is that where public facing information is landing from the care center, or are there are there is there other places where they're posting publicly? Yeah, that. To my knowledge, is the place where uh, the care center is posting these messages publicly. And again, they only one at a time is visible on their website. So the most recent one, so they don't currently have like a rolling total or anything. It's just these copies of these messages they're sending out to the people who are 
being impacted by this. Okay, and what what do you think comes next for this story? What are you looking to to nail down next? Um, I mean, looking to nail down the or looking to track sort of the cases of COVID as they develop. Uh, looking to see um, what the how the facility manages it, and just looking to see how this ties into the broader conversation about the management of the facility. Um, long-time listeners may remember that this has been discussed in the county before. Um, there's been an issue for a while of short staffing at the facility um, with uh, the potential for a lower quality of patient care as a result. Um, it's a problem with this facility. It's a problem sort of we've been hearing across the nursing industry um and it's it's not immediately connected to this incidence of covid but this is a facility where there are a lot of eyes on it and um a lot of i mean a lot of people concerned about the residents and concerned about making sure uh, they get the care they need right and um and and Again, you're, you're talking about like longtime listeners to know that we've been covering this. I mean, is there is is there a present like where's where is the story most recently apart from this COVID outbreak? What what are people looking for in terms of this care facility most recently in this ongoing story? What's the most recent things that have been discussed in the legislature or that advocates for patients are asking for? Um, I'll admit that isn't that this isn't a story I've been following very closely recently. Right. Um, so my information isn't as as of this moment uh, terribly up to date. Um, as far as I know, one of the things that the legislature is still asking for is uh, financials from Infinite Care, um, the management company. Uh, they're um, when, when the county um, hired Infinite Care to manage this facility, um, there was understanding of um, like that the, there would be financial like disclosures of a certain point. And forgive me, I'm, I'm not remembering the details exactly, right. precisely as of this moment. But um, the county has had over all of 2022 really a very difficult time in getting those financial figures from the facility. So mm. that's something I believe the legislature is looking at, uh, just greater transparency from the facility. Um, patient advocates are looking for uh, greater staffing at the facility and have suggested a couple of different ways to do that. Um, well, we've yeah, been, we've been looking day, for some more... We've been looking for some more information on this story too, so I'm glad that you're able to, to shine some more light out and give us give us something here today. And uh, I know you'll you'll still be keeping an eye on it. And thank you for uh, indulging me as I kind of put you on the spot because I I too am just uh, I've been hearing about ongoing discussions, but I don't know where where the what the latest is 
uh, with this care center beyond the, this COVID story, which is really the latest and the big story right now and is still developing. Um, other news that you're tracking is that uh, Mr. Molinaro visited Bethel today doing a town hall. Uh, what what happened? Yeah, um, Mark Molinaro, a new representative for the 19th Congressional District, visited Bethel today as part of a 11-county town hall trip that he's doing through the 11 counties of the 19th District. Um, he was sort of there to listen from the public. I sort of emphasized his entire adult life that he has spent in various public service positions and said that across those years, He's conducted hundreds of town halls trying to listen to where people are coming from. And he was also trying to, or one of the lines he kept coming back to and one of the things he kept trying to pitch was uh, for people to sort of evaluate him a little differently than they might. Um, He said a couple of times that his entire life for the people, now that he's a representative, gets boiled down to a yes or a no, depending on which way he votes on certain issues. But that most challenges uh, can't really be boiled down to that, so he's trying to get people to look more at his record. Um, and just the other things around that, like one yes or no vote. Um, and it came through in a couple of the issues that he was talking about with uh, Sullivan County residents. Um, for example... Uh, talking about gun control, he was really pressed to sort of support an AR ban or an assault rifle ban. And he, he didn't um, agree with that position, but he said that uh, he was very strongly in support of, like, really enforcing the laws that are currently on the books for background checks, for instance. Um, or um, for school lunch programs and sort of expanded food and security programs. Um, he was asked about a specific bill that was going to deal with them or going to expand a certain program. And he said, well, I haven't read that specific bill as of yet, but here are some of the other ways that um, I am trying to support these causes. So, um, yeah, a lot of attempts to reach out, even if he didn't necessarily agree with the specific um, things being advocated for by people in the room. Did he uh, talk anything about opening up a local office? I heard he's going to open up a log, uh, an office, I think, in Liberty, right? Yeah, he, he didn't mention it specifically, but you're, you're right. There is, uh, he announced um, separately uh, that he's opening five offices across the district. Uh, the one in Liberty and one up in Hancock, I believe, those will both be uh, part-time offices uh, available upon appointment and i think there was one in binghamton that was was going to be a full-time office so as as well as one other full-time office i'm not remembering the exact location of that at this moment at this visit did anything stand out to you as something that sums up where folks were at at this town hall in bethel like what what is there any things that stand out as an overall thing that folks are looking for? Um, There was kind of a mix. Uh, There were a couple of questions that had a more ideological bent to them, uh, trying to, or asking if he supported or opposed specific positions. Um, And then there were other questions 
or other conversations that had more of a practical tone to them in terms of like what policies, um, specific policies being advocated for, um, either by Monaro or at the local level. Um, Wendy Brown uh, from the county was there and uh, had a good exchange with um, Molinaro where she complimented one of the, the opioid assistance programs, that uh, the a, a program to help uh, specifically um, mother or pregnant mothers, I believe, um, who were suffering from substance use disorder. Um, she said that uh, that was a program he put forth when he was a county executive over in Dutchess County. And that was something Sullivan County had seen and liked and copied, essentially. And so there was some common ground built on issues like that, um, where uh, it was either stuff that he had done as an executive in his previous life or stuff that he potentially intended to do as a representative. All right, Liam, we've only got, uh, we're actually starting to go over time just a little bit here. What can you tell us about this uh, legal battle over Pennsylvania's educational formula in just a minute here? Yeah, uh, the minute-long version is there was an eight-year-long legal battle between the state legislature and uh, school districts, parents and advocates about the school funding formula in Pennsylvania, uh, Pennsylvania um, relies a lot more on property taxes to fund its schooling than statewide pools of money, um, leading to sort of unequal educational funding because wealthier school districts have more property taxes and can um, fund their education more. Um, and the ruling um, was a decision that... Um, basically held that that funding system is unequal to um, students and to educational outcomes and that it violated the educational clause and the equal protection clause of the Constitution. So this could lead to um, changes for local school districts, uh, different allocations of money, as long as it doesn't get thrown out or challenged or any number of things in the years ahead. All right, Liam, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to go over all this uh, with us, and let's all keep an eye on uh, these stories for new developments. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. Stay safe out there. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, it's time for Work Shift Live. You're listening to The Local Edition, winner of two Excellence in Broadcasting Awards from the New York State Broadcasters Association. Radio Catskill. Listen local. Here's a way to support Radio Catskill that makes the most financial sense. Become a sound supporter. It's easier on your budget because instead of giving us one lump sum of $120 or $240, you can support Radio Catskill with an automatic contribution of $10 or $20 a month. And it works better for us because it guarantees a regular flow of support to the station. To set up your credit card or bank account as a sound supporter, just go to WJFFradio.org and make your monthly recurring contribution.
Well, here we are once again. It's time for the latest on jobs and the economy around here, around the country, around the world. For that, we turn to James B. Huntington for yet another edition of Work Shift Live. Hello, James. Good evening, Jason. Good evening, listeners. Okay, so uh, big news, big economic news of the week anyway, at least here in America, is uh, latest on inflation. What did we learn this week? Well, the report came out, it was higher this past month than it was the previous month, but it's so much lower than what was going on close to a year ago that the annual rate has now dropped to 6.4%. So it's really continuing to fall out of any kind of crisis mode. It's high, but hardly atrocious by any kind of historical standards. It's wafting down. Okay, and how how did the the markets take this news yesterday? Well, we have a mm, rather tepid <laughs> thirty nine point gain in the <laughs> in the Dow today. They it went up yesterday, and right now it is only one hundred and seventy nine more than it was a week ago. That's not so bad, but it hardly had a big reaction. Actually, it was a as, as something of a disappointment yesterday. So it still improved, and we're quite happy with that. Otherwise, over the past week, we have gold down $38, silver down $0.67. Cents. Those are really disappointing, and I can't really see... A good reason for it to do that. Oil stayed much the same, seventy-eight fifty a barrel. We have Bitcoin continuing its surprising jump up. It's up thirteen hundred and some dollars to twenty-four two sixty-four. I don't know what's driving it. We have in on the foreign exchange area, the pound is down about half a cent to a dollar twenty twenty-nine. The euro about a dollar seven down a quarter of a cent, and then the hundred yen coin down a penny to seventy-five cents. Otherwise, overall, it really looks like a calm before the storm. There's not much going on clearly from investors, and I think they're just waiting to see how some things fall out. Wow. Yeah, silver's at its lowest that it's been in two months. That's that's something else. I yeah, it, it goes is. up, it goes down. It's We thought that when gold was 1900 and some, gold and silver, which usually follows gold to some extent, were going to go up more. That right, by now, we'll be looking at 2000 or even 2100 but it fell right back. I don't know. Well, the investors just seem to be losing interest and in going much farther with it. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, and then, you know, um, I guess looking at employment, well, on the Pennsylvania side of things, uh, there's uh, different uh, requirements that for employment uh, that the new governor's putting into place to try to help job growth. What's going on over there? Yes, now more than 90% of Pennsylvania state government jobs are not requiring a four-year degree. That is a way high percentage for that these days when there have been more and more requirements that people be college-educated. That opens up 65,000 jobs that will be possible. There are about 8% requiring a degree, but 
that's not very many at all. Overall, the thing just seems to be about people not or not needing such things because they're seeing experience that's comparable as being equal to educational experiences. It's the same pattern we've seen many times before where they raise the standards to cut down the number of applicants because there are so many people, but now that the number of applicants is down and workers seem to be scarcer, they're getting rid of a lot of these things. So I think this is going to be perfectly good, especially when they're looking more heavily at experience than education. That's healthy. Yeah, and it, it's I, I guess in some ways it's a litmus of where, where the job market stands as well. Yes, well, look for more and more of these things. Some areas, like now and then we get people carping about a lack of teachers. Well, if they, could, they would get so many more teachers if they would cut down the requirements that people have full teaching degrees. People, teachers learn on the job, and there are many other areas like that. So along those lines of who's working, and we were talking about Pennsylvania, we were talking about New York, too. What's, what's uh, unemployment? How's unemployment doing in our listening area? Okay, around the counties, we have, from December, the most recent data available, Sullivan, 2.8% unemployment, Orange, 2.6%, Ulster County, 26 Wayne County, 4.4%, and Pike at 49 Except for Wayne County, which has had a couple of bad months, all of these are only up small numbers from before. Although the national unadjusted unemployment rate dropped a tenth of a percent, it's still higher. It's at 3.3%. It's still quite a bit higher than three New York counties. So we're still doing well in our area with jobs and things. We'll see where the trend goes, but we had month after month where these numbers just kept improving, so a small fallback is nothing to worry about. Okay, and um, I guess we're getting close to robots. Let's see what we can get to, but, you know, on the on the road to robots is artificial intelligence. You've got some AI uh, options for making some more money? Yes, absolutely, we have. An investment fund, which is powered by IBM's Watson, it's driven by artificial intelligence, and so far this year, the equity fund is up 10.4%. At least that's a number as of the end of January, I should say, the first month for this. That's significantly up. We may get to the point where... We're going to want to look at what AI is saying about what we could invest in. Of course, there's a lot of uncertainty, and I mean, you or you or I could handpick stocks that during January went up a lot more than 10.4 percent. So it's hardly perfect, but it's getting to be something worth incorporating in your investment strategy here. Wow. All right, so uh, you know, uh, could be a robotic broker there, and that brings us to Robot Watch, the place where we look at the impacts of robots and artificial intelligence on the workplace itself. Here on Workshift Live. 
So, uh, what companies are using robots to make deliveries now? Well, this is all put together by Serve Robotics, and they are sending a system where robots will go around cities, either on sidewalks or in roads, depending on the legal laws and such. We have 7-Eleven starting to do that. We have hmm, things connected with Uber. We have a number of small companies are starting to use these robot delivery systems. I'm skeptical that this will be a long-term solution. They've been trying things for a whole length of our lives almost to be able to make small deliveries to customers, and they're usually not paying for themselves. They have to charge more than customers will pay. But it's another try. It's a valiant effort, and who knows? It's possible this will work. And in the final, we have just 30 seconds. Is that enough time to talk about robots failing at the drive-thru at McDonald's? Yes, comedy time. What? Robots, what robot voice interpretation systems are using and what they're doing. We're getting customers ordering a large water and a cup of ice cream and being given two butters and four ketchups. We have a customer getting nine sweet teas instead of one. We have a customer being told that they just asked for $250 worth of McNugget meals. I mean, it's understandable because, I mean, speech recognition is really challenged by the noise of drive throughs It's right, going to be a while. Right. They're, they're just testing these things. They're not widespread, but they will work out. I predict that within a year or two, they will be common and much right. less hilarious. Well, thanks for giving us all this information, and join us next week for more WorkShift Live with James B. Huntington. Thank you, James. Thank you, Jason. Thank you, listeners. All right, Trailer Talk Sprint Artels coming up next. WJFF Jeffersonville, W233AH Monticello, Public Radio for the Catskills Northeast.